You're listening to the Black Belt Podcast and this is episode 10. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, like, share, review, comment, subscribe, all that stuff. Today's guest is Brendan GMK Kenny. Along with being the self-proclaimed youngest grandmaster in history, Brendan is also a four-time Irish Open champion as well as multiple WACO World and European medalist. Brendan has lots of experience in many combat sports, including kickboxing, boxing and taekwondo and today i chat to brendan about his time in those sports and his plans moving forward also this podcast was recorded over skype so apologies for any delay or cross crossover there may be but hopefully you can still enjoy uh what's up man so how are you finding lockdown no not much. yeah life on lockdown doing the doing the usual lockdown things we're here in one of at the moment we're in the in the mech of like contact kickboxing we did a bit of training i can come back and forth to hall at the moment so we're blessed to be able to come back and forth. It's just me or just me and my brother. So I'm still training away, doing a bit of reading, watching some Netflix, doing the all the lockdown things. Have you oh, have you seen that, that documentary on Netflix, actually, the Tiger King one? Have you watched that? I've seen a few people talking about it. And uh, Brendan oh Sean. Oh, my God. Are we recording now, are we? Yeah. Oh, look, let's kick it off with Netflix recommendations with GMK. Everybody should watch that uh, Tiger King documentary. It is insane uh, it's it's about people who own big cats but like own multiple big cats it's absolutely crazy and they're like running around like cuddling up to these big cats and rubbing them like they treat these lions like i treat my bijan priest like it's yeah oh it's crazy, crazy so but it's, it's then, definitely worth the watch watch it this, this first episode is okay the second episode it takes a left turn and gets crazy real quick I is that singing i've seen a video of him singing <laughs> Oh yeah, he's them country music videos. I watched them. Yeah, I, I think if, if I was to go into music, that's exactly what it would look like. Like that's how Jim K would produce music videos. 110 yeah, percent Oh yeah, definitely. And it'd have to be country music as well. Look, if kickboxing doesn't work out, that's where I'll turn to. And uh is it is it Texas he lives? Does he live in Texas? Yeah, it's in or I think it's in Florida, but they, they moved it to the Texas border at some stage. But there's some crazy statistic that says like there's there's more cats in Texas privately owned than there is in the wild. Yeah, so that's what I think. That's exactly why I was asking. You would have been listening to Joe Rogan as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think, yeah, Joe, yeah. I think I heard it off Joe Rogan. You know, and what Joe right. Rogan says is gospel. Yeah, uh, Joe Rogan exactly. does not lie. So that's why that's why I was asking. Yeah. It's Texas and living in. Yeah. It's so. a crazy, uh, it's a crazy documentary. Like to think about the kind of minds that would want to own multiple big cats is insane. But Netflix had another really good one like that recently, uh, abducted in plain sight. But these stories that are so insane that like you can't believe it. Like it's, it's almost like they've written them for TV dramas, and it turns out to be a documentary. But would you be surprised if they just wrote it for a TV drama? Like, <laughs> oh, TV drama. Uh, like, Say yeah. again. I watched abducted in plain sight, like, and I was just kind of just when I thought, like, this is weird. Next thing is, it, it just kept getting it, more weird. You're just like, what is going on? It, but it kept this. It, it got weirder and weirder, and it, like, it shouldn't have been funny. But that this is like, <laughs> it hey, was. Bro, I'm on a podcast. You're getting an insight into my six sense humor. It was hilarious. I, mean, I remember me and a friend of mine I boxed with absolutely bent over laughing at the idea that this guy was having an affair with not only the mother, but the father at the same time. And, oh, and that scene, that scene where he, like, his camera zooms in. They relieved him. It's like, oh yes, I did the worst thing imaginable. My roof's over there. 
and I'm leaking. Oh, it just, it was gold. Like, it, was so, <laughs> it was so out there. It, it could have been a TV drama. You know, that kind of way. Uh, like, that, uh, they should have made that into a series, that whole thing. The one hour wasn't enough. Yeah. I don't know. I, that's I, I thought that with uh, the television. I, say again? Should have got in actors and everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I feel that sometimes I don't like these big drawn-out documentaries. I felt like the entire thing you could have done in, in one documentary. But at the same time, you get all these extra little tidbits that, like, I don't want to spoil it for people. But that, that one in the second episode where they turn around and explain how they're all uh, polygamists. Oh, it was just it was so, it was so, it was so crazy. It, it, it was so good. Yeah, just people go home. Stop, stop, pause the black dog right now. Go watch that documentary and then come back to us. <laughs> uh, I'm going to put it on the list. I'll put it on the list to have a listen. To have a watch. Oh, definitely do it. It's, it's, it's out there. But, uh, we'll go to a bit of uh, maybe martial arts talk. So, and um, Again, <laughs> that's what it is a martial arts podcast. Ah, well, we talk about whatever. So, uh, What's it? Uh, we, as you know, if you've been listening, I always tend to start at the same place, and that's how you started in uh, martial arts. Yeah, well, I suppose I, I the same. They come from the same upbringing as everyone else in, in martial arts, in the sense of I've listened to this before, and everyone is down to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers, which is the the classics. But I suppose a, an even bigger influence for me at the time growing up was I, some of my earliest memories when I was like seven or eight. I remember I used to be allowed to stay up late on Friday night, Friday and Saturday night with my dad. I thought this was great. But he used to pull out this uh, box of VHS tapes and they were all the old classic boxing fights. So you had the likes of Muhammad Ali, Tyson, Sugar Ray Leonard. And I used to remember watching these. But two that kind of stood out for me, and I have such a vivid memory of them, is the, he had two tapes of Prince Nassim Muhammad. And I just fell in love yeah. with that style. He had one tape where it was just his fights. Uh, I think the Kevin yeah. Kelly fight was on it. I remember watching that a few times. And he had the other one where it was that documentary about when he fought Barrera in Vegas, that fight he lost. Ah, and yeah, I, yeah, oh, yeah. I just really love this. I love this style. The way Prince was able to uh, make a fool of someone and then just knock them out. It was so good. It was so different to all the other boxes that had ever come for him. And he was so cocky and so brash. I love that. Like, And um, I think that's, once I saw that, I was like, I want to do what the Prince does. I want to, whatever that is, I was begging my, parents to get involved in martial arts. But at the time, actually, my father knew a man who taught karate. And he said, leave until he's about 11 or 12. And I was seven or eight going, no, no, I got to start now, I got to start now. But they did, they, they brought me in when I was 11. And I did my first class in or more at the time as part of the Connacht Taekwondo School. So under Shane Fitzgibbon and Lisa Conley. So that's where I got my, my start. And I remember doing my first class, it was a Thursday evening. And I just, I was like, yeah, this is for me. Like, I absolutely love this. And just never looked back since. So Taekwondo was my first, uh, first base, first martial art, really. And then through different journeys, transition, I did boxing and, and kickboxing, which we'll probably get into now as, we have, as we're having a chat. But uh, yeah, definitely. I'd say, I think it was maybe a, a kind of that generation because my dad used to always talk about Nas, like, and how good Nas was, like, and he was like telling me, like, oh, you should watch Nas and Nas and uh, Wayne McCullough and all. So, like, I went back and I watched and yeah, a savage, a savage fighter. So I think sometimes people yeah, think how, good, how good he was because when he, the way he lost to Barrera, I think kind of that kind of you know and turned, his career yeah, small. I one more fight after that. Yeah, and he kind of he, he went out on a low almost. Yeah, which was yeah. 
unfortunate for fans of Naz, like you'd like to see him, you would have liked to see him do more. And he was so young as well when he when he retired. But like once you lose the bite, you lose the bite, I suppose. But yeah, I, I love that that style of boxing at the moment, and it's becoming more popular. The matrix styles people are kind of coining it. They like Salomachenko. Yeah, yeah. um, I'm all over Pernell Whitaker at the moment. Soon enough, I've been watching loads of Pernell Whitaker. But it's the way, it, for people that seen Pernell Whitaker, he gets, like, counterfighters get people annoyed. That's the aim of the game, is, like, to sit back, make them miss and kind of smile and taunt them a little bit and get them to commit more so you can make them miss some more and counter them. But Pernell Whitaker, he has it down to a fine art. Like, you can see, especially in that uh, De La Hoya fight, he has De La Hoya really pissed off. Like, De La Hoya wants to kill him. And he just can't yeah. put his hands on Pernell Whitaker. Like. And it's something, I just love that style. The, the ability to be able to sit back and just make people miss. I love that. Like, that's why, because uh, when I was talking to Ryan, obviously, uh, if you, uh, not too long ago on the last podcast, and uh, he said he picked his favorite fighter was Floyd Mayweather, and like obviously a similar style. So, yeah, Floyd. Floyd is a real pure style, though. I find like you have to understand boxing to get Floyd, unless they're broken down into these small tidbits and they're slow mode, then people appreciate how good he is. But like. It, you, it, that's for real boxing purists, I think, uh, Floyd Mayweather. And that guy, uh, Rigondeaux, he was the same. Like, yeah, wouldn't do yeah. too much, but he, he, he touched. Uh, Rigondeaux was really, really good as well. Or if that guy, if anyone's seen uh, Tevin Farmer, he's quite, he's quite good. Uh, he's Tevin Farmer. For the sake of being yeah. Like, he just make people he lost miss his and have a good time. Like, he's not, he's not even trying to counter attack people. He's just making them miss and laughing at them. Like, yeah, but Tevin Farmer actually lost his last fight. Yeah, I remember the last full fight I watched of him yeah, was when he fought. Yes, uh, yeah, but there was one before that where he got a really bad decision against a Japanese fella. I think he was Japanese. There was one where he was going for yeah. that original world title. I remember looking at how they spawned this. But that's, that's the, that is the issue, I suppose, with counterfighting. It's, it's, it's controversial in the sense of people. Some people just want to see somebody dominate the middle of the ring and throw more shots. Judges are trigger happy. You see it in light contact as well. Like judges are trigger happy. Once they see that forward movement, they want to score something. Whereas the counterfighting is about making the miss by inches sometimes and then countering. And it, it's hard to pick up on. And it's a style that's not for everybody, even fans of combat sports. Not everybody appreciates the, the finer details of it. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I'm not going to say people that appreciate that forward, forward style aren't appreciating the finer details. There's guys like, like if you watch, uh, just because we're on boxing, um, Gennady Golovkin. Like, that's a forward yeah. style, but he's so technical at it. Like, the way he breaks people down with the jab and then unleashes what, what punches he has to use to, to finish them off. He's so good. And he, he's very rarely hit as well. Like, he, he's really good. Them two yeah. uh, Canelo Alvarez fights, though. Alvarez is another good example of a defensive boxer. I think well being well, offensive. Like, he's, yeah. yeah, serious power, but his head movement is completely underrated. Like, yeah, it's it, The last fight. The last way he was he was walking forwards, but it was like hands up, slipping, like stick his head out, just that little slip, slip back, and bang with the right hand coming yeah. back. Oh, so so slick! Like there's there is little videos of him on Instagram. I've seen people sharing around of his head movement, but it is so good, and it's the way he's able to link it between he's he's like you said, stepping forward, walking from down, making the miss, making the miss, and then cracks the money. The way he knocked out Kovalev was so good. Yeah, well, that, uh, Daniel Davis knocked out as well was. Like you see the way he caught him that hook and rolled underneath his next shot. It's so slick. But even like uh, Mike Tyson was a little bit like that as well. Like he would hands up, come forward and slip it inside. Yeah. Like it was counter, but like all these punches were counter punches. But because he was going forward, it, did, it didn't look like it. it looked like he was like, really he, offensive. 
Yeah, people remember Mike Tyson for stepping in and just mowing down people. But he was, he technically was so good. How often did you see Mike Tyson get hit, especially in that early period? Like, he yeah. was so good at that kind of Bob and Weave style. He invented and, well, pioneered that Bob and Weave style and, and made it his own. Like, he was very rarely hit. And like you said, it was counter-punching. By the time he got into that range and knocking people out, it was a counter-punch that knocked him out. And uh, for going back to yourself, did um, did you compete much then when you were younger, like maybe as a as a color belt in Taekwondo, were you competing much? And yeah, it, this is this will shock people now. As a color belt, I I hated sparring at the time. So I, I remember I started competing around twelve years of age. I was pretty early on. I remember I remember being a yellow belt competing my first time at like the Connacht Taekwondo Championships in Gord or something like that, the IUTF Connacht Taekwondo Championships. And um, I hated sparring, hated sparring. I didn't like getting hit. The idea of fighting people just it wasn't for me. And I used to love patterns. So I did patterns all the time, which just saying it now sounds absolutely insane. Like, could you imagine me doing patterns now, Jimmy? But uh, who knows, maybe I might make a comeback, yeah. But it's, um, I started uh, competing, I was around 11, I kind of just, I was always competing though. So from, from or sorry, 12, I was, I was just always competing in the smaller tournaments in Ireland. The IUTF used to run loads of them. We had like Connacht Championships and Munster Championships and Leinster's and all the rest of it. And was competing, competing, competing. And I think I got to like 70. I started to travel internationally when I was 16. And got a taste. I did some tournament out the TAGB or TAGB tournament. Some of that out in Poland. And I remember the style and the standard being very, very different. So once I got to 16, 17, I started to question what was the story with this style. Do you know what I mean? We'd heard of Wackles. And Wackles seemed to be the pinnacle of um, mat sports. But I was always like, why are we not competing in Wackles? Do you know, and there's so many different associations. There's so much in politics that's involved and all that carry on. So once yeah. I got to 16, 17, I started questioning. And then at 18, I moved then at the time from, I was in Connacht Taekwondo. And I went, because I knew John Mackey, who's, who's been on this podcast as well. Yeah, John's been on the so podcast. So I moved over to his club, yeah, which is in Dublin. And just to get for the opportunity to go to Wackles and to kind of test myself a little bit and see... I wanted more from the sport than just competing at these small tournaments and this kind of under the radar stuff. I wanted a little bit more out of it. So I wanted to do Wackles, so went to John. And that, that, at the time, John was the only person I knew that was involved in both Taekwondo and kickboxing. So I used to travel up to him. I, used to, I was still living in Galway at the time, still am. So I used to travel, I used to get a bus up on a Friday to go training and then spend the weekend up there. Sometimes I had an aunt that stayed in Cabra spend the weekend up there and then come back home and I used to go back and forth for about five years I was up there competing and that's where I really started to get the bite for light contact and really kind of fell in love with the sport from from there John was really good coaching and stuff like that yeah John's a lot of solid competitors uh, it was really interesting chat when we was on the podcast as well um uh, I see I actually mm-hmm. thought when I first yeah, yeah, had, huge I, influence on my style that, that was one and I was always stuck in and out of boxing clubs as well Yeah, like I think when I first met you, you were, I kind of, when, you were, when you were kind of, when I first kind of would have heard of you, you were training with John's Club. So I actually thought then you were from Dublin because I thought knew you were training out of John's Club. It was only after then. Yeah, that's a lot of people. He's actually. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people would have said that to me. They didn't realize I was traveling once or twice a week. I used to get a lift up. My dad, like, used to support me that way. He used to actually drive me up to training sometimes on a Friday night and collect me and come home. And we used to go from Galway to Dublin. And then back home straight away afterwards. So it was two hours in a car up and two hours all the way back for an hour and a half training. But at the time, 
that was the, that was the perfect training I need. I wasn't familiar with how light contact work worked. I didn't have any front leg and stuff like that. So John did develop a lot of skills that I could use going forward and stuff like that. But did yeah, it was, it, a lot of people didn't realize I was making that trick all the time. Hmm? Did he influence the jab? Did the jab? The GMK. Oh, jab, I came out the womb jabbing. I was GMK's oh, <laughs> classic jab. I came out the womb, jabbed my way out. Up onto that attention stance, all the nurses bowed their eyes to sit back. They knew it was something special. <laughs> but to be fair, I, I spent an awful lot of time in, in boxing clubs, in motivated boxing clubs. So I was always in and out of, of the boxing clubs, even when I was with the IETF. I think it was like 13 or 14, the first time I'd experienced boxing. And I was always in and out of the club. And there was a coach in there called PJ Fallon. I really clicked with PJ, but purely because he appreciated the finer aspects of boxing. You know, sometimes you come to these country clubs and they just, they just want you to run around the hall for 45 minutes, just whack the bag out of it. Do you know what I mean? Whereas PJ would take you on the pads, even, even at 14, I remember, and he'd be looking at really perfecting the jab, at the, you know, some stuff like that. And he'd really break down the techniques and things. And I used to love working with PJ. And even when I um, came back boxing later on, I did an awful lot of work with him. And I think he brought my game forward hugely, uh, both defensively and offensively in the boxing. Because I think that's what I'm known for now in like contact is having a solid boxing base, but I spent, I spent an awful lot of time in boxing clubs, drilling it and perfecting it, trying to bring it, trying to adapt it, I suppose, for the mass. And you went, you went, like you said, you went boxing kind of nearly for a full time there as well, for a while. Didn't yeah, you? so I, I did, sorry, say again? You went boxing kind of full time, you went away from kickboxing for a little bit and even take what I went, just went purely boxing for a while. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, so, yeah, so what happened was, um, at the time, I, I was about 20, so I'd competed in, I'd won the Irish Open, won the Hungarian World Cup, and won the Dutch Open. So we did, we did our time in the World Series, I think it was about 20 at the time. And I'd won all these tournaments, and then I, I qualified for the European. So you win the National uh, Kickboxing Championships here in Ireland, and then you go forward for the Europeans. I can't remember if it was the Europeans or Worlds at the time. I think it was Worlds in Hungary. I think it was about 2017. So I turned around and gone, I'd spent all my money. I was like 20, I'd spent all my money on going to the Dutch Open and the Hungarian World Cup and all the other tournaments we were doing. And by the time Europeans was coming around and they started to want these deposits, I was going, no, I've, I've no more money left. I, I can't go. So I, I turned around and kind of said, look, I'm going to have to leave this. So instead of kind of, I, I, got a bit, I got a bit frustrated with the sport as well. Like, obviously, you've put all this time and effort in and there's no kind of uh, give back. You know, they, they haven't given anything back. They're not trying to support you. Whereas like when I was approached them, I was like, listen, I can't do this. They were like, like the, the higher ups of K-Bear were like, look, what can we do? Like, it's part of the sport. And I think at the time I got extremely frustrated. So I walked away from it and said, listen, good luck, lads. I'm out. So I ended up spending time boxing. So as it happened, it worked out in my favor. So I, I immersed myself in boxing and got to compete at the under 22 championships and this national seniors and stuff like that and got really, really good experience and met people I still work with today. The likes of uh, Tom O'Toole, who won the elites there at this top of 2018. Like, I, I'm still really good friends with him, and we train together regularly, like, but uh, I, I spent a lot of time boxing, immersed myself in boxing, do you know what I mean? I was, I was set to, to yeah. not come back to boxing and just, just compete at boxing at the time. I just got very, very frustrated with this, this kind of attitude of kickboxing as a stepping stone. Do you know what I mean? It, it was very amateur mindset to me that we couldn't, we couldn't get any benefits. You could win a wackos in this country, and then there was no there was no payoff whereas if you win a wackos in turkey i've heard i can get 10 grand jamie yeah. imagine the damage i would do with 10 grand <laughs> i'd be set for life in motivation set for life with 10 oh, grand. Motivate. You know I mean? but, the mecca it, 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 
in the oh my god, we actually uh, set up the Mecca. Uh, you wouldn't have to buy a point ever again. <laughs> this is it. Like, why would you be spending the money on you being a local hero? But I think the the thing with me then was as I was boxing, I remember seeing the team that went out that that World Championships in Hungary and looking at the way. What for me at the time was it was very much like anybody could go as long as you paid the money, you could go. And I remember looking at this, going, "Now this isn't good enough for me. This I I for a sport I loved, which was like contact, and I genuinely do." care about the sport and I'm passionate about the sport for as much as I kind of poke fun at, at martial arts and things like that I really do have a love for like contact but I remember at the time just not being happy with the way anybody could go I was like why are they letting this guy do this weight division even though he's qualified in such and such a weight division so I, I remember going well I gotta go back I gotta go back and kind of set the standard if if nothing else for my division and in in this country so that's kind of what prompted me back into into kickboxing, and at the time, I tried to go back to John, and when I kind of got in contact with him, we were just in two different places, so in the sense of he'd taken a job with Canoe in Ireland at the time, and he was working a little bit more on that. He wasn't kickboxing, he wasn't coaching kickboxing the same way, and I wasn't willing to make that a two-hour journey every, every single time. So what ended up happening was I got in contact with Damien Gormley, only because his club was in Castlebarra, and it's a completely points club, and Damo at the time wasn't sure about it. He kind of looked at me and goes, well, no problem, but you do realize it's only point fighting we do here. And I was like, I didn't care. I was like, I just want to go back kickboxing. I don't care what you're teaching me. I'll, I'll just go back kickboxing. I'll train myself. And I ended up just going up and down to Damo's for, for a couple of weeks and competed in the White Tiger Challenge. And that just gave me the buy for it again. I was like, I want to be back kickboxing. And that's where I am now. Um, I'm training and competing on the White Tiger, and I have to say it's it's the happiest I've been in kickboxing. I've been blessed in the sense of demo demo skill set is kind of I would say more off the mat. He's very very good at handling me and handling stuff like sponsorship. Like I've been blessed the last two years to get some really really good sponsorships. But you have to go out and put the work in, the work as opposed to I I changed my attitude from that kind of 20 year old who was going, oh no, I can't, uh, I, can't I can't be dealing with this. If, if KBR ain't going to help me, what am I going to do? Whereas you just have to go out and chase it yourself. You have to go in and put yourself in that good position to go and compete for the rest of the year. So I've been blessed, but Dame was very, very good at supporting that stuff and, um, and helping me out when it comes to sponsorship. Yeah, I suppose that's, that's good. Like, cause you could have, you, like you said, you got a bit disillusioned then you could have just left and went, oh, well, like that's the way things have been done and there's no support. But like you've kind of since gone, went back and kind of maybe shown a bit of, the, shown the way to some degree to go, well, like like that, you can get some sponsorship, you can get some support if you're willing to put in the work yeah. and go out and find it. Exactly, yeah. And I, yeah, I think it was just, it was an attitude change at the time that really, um, obviously an attitude change because I love the sport and I want to be back involved in sport. But as well as that, I kind of came back in knowing that no matter what I do, like the sport in this country is not is not where it is in Russia or Turkey or Italy, where they're getting funded and, and they're getting a little bit of help. So I had to go, well, how do I create the blueprint for the next group of juniors that are coming up? And they go, well, how do I stay involved in the sport as far as funding goes? So once you hit 18 and 19, you start funding yourself. It's much harder. It's easy when you're competing at juniors and mom and dad are handing the money every other week. It's, it's so much easier. But certainly yeah. when you're, you're competing at senior and you need to make money yourself, it is a lot harder. So um, I just want to create that blueprint and show people it can be done in this country. You can go and compete full-time, get funded, get some help to do it. Because it is, it's tough. But uh, if you have the right attitude and you, you, you put yourself out there, I think, in the sense of you have the right group of people around you. There's some people in Monave that are hugely helpful to me as far as getting funding. They got some huge funding from me last year. 
which allows me to go and compete at these World Cups and compete at the European Championships and World Championships as they go. Because especially in, with kickboxing, I know in Taekwondo, the schedule is a little bit different. You don't have as many of the World Cups. Well, I, I can say I don't have as many as the World Cups in Taekwondo. I compete in Taekwondo too. But uh, the, what you don't have, the way we have the setup of Irish Open, Austrian Classics, Hungarian World Cup, there's loads of tournaments to be going to. And you have to be involved in them in kickboxing in order to medal or do well at the World Championships because you need to know who you're in there with, the, yeah. what competitors are in region, and get that international experience. So by the time you hit the mats at Wackos, it's not a big daunting challenge to be doing three rounds against some fella from Bulgaria or wherever, wherever they're from. And uh, where were the Wackos meant to be on this year? They're, they're still set to be on. They're set to be on in Turkey. So far, I've got my fingers crossed, like, because everything, everything is cancelled, like, which is, it's a hard blow, like, especially the way we train in Monavay, like, we've been, everyone's on lockdown now, we've been in lockdown all Christmas, so there's three or four of us came into the hall, after I had a really good year last year, I won Irish Open and Silver at Hungarian World Cup, won Flanders and Bristol, and got bronze at Wackles, so I felt like I was starting to, to hit that stride, and I was like, right, hitting 24 now we put ourselves away for christmas and there was three or four of us just working 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 all in preparation for this season yeah uh, as in the keep up season of irish open so we got irish opening and then now with corona everything's cancelled so like we were set to go to austria we were looking at hungary as well and like it's 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 a real blow but like i was thinking it, it got me wednesday evening we were down here and i realized i was hitting pads and i was about Four rounds in, and I just realized man, there's no tournaments to be training for. What? What? What's what are you, you bothering for? Like, yeah. You like, yeah, the likes of the Olympians who have been training for the Olympic Games, suddenly for that to be postponed, it must be must be heartbreaking. It is hard. Anybody that's involved in any kind of sport right now, it is yeah. it is tough. But hopefully, I've got my fingers crossed. There's talk of them uh, running some tournaments in September, so hopefully we might get to Flanders, Flanders Open, and the Bristol Open. And hopefully yours. I've got my fingers crossed. Don't don't doubt me, Jamie. I need something. I need something to be doing. Yeah, but like it's grand saying, like it's grand saying. Oh yeah, well, like even I oh, will push these tournaments back to June. But when are you going to have time to train? It's like gyms are closed. You know. This, so, this is it. yeah. It depends. As I said, we're in a very unique position over here. Like the community hall in Monave, I have the use of that for whenever I need it. Do you know what I mean? So Monave kind of support me in that sense. So we've been here every day training and I think that should be people's goals is to try and get better over this period. But as you said, like all the gyms are closed, all the classes are off. There's not much place to train. It, it does. It's making it hard for people. Definitely. Yeah. But I even think that like with the Olympics, like, so people are saying, oh, so just like push it back to next year. But when you put three and a half years of preparation into something to peak, on maybe one day two days three days even depending on what events like it's very hard to just go oh yeah we'll just extend that now by a year and like that as well it's yeah it must be another year of funding potentially that you that you need that maybe isn't there and like there's so much other stuff to it like not just the case of like because these athletes don't just rock up that week and perform it's like there's a, like a cycle yeah, of years yeah. but yeah, this is it, because I remember there was an interview on the news last night with one of the Irish hockey players, and she was, she, that, that was the term she used to peak at the tournament, because she was talking about, oh, you know, it's heartbreaking for us and all the rest of it, and I was going, who cares, like, just put in another year of work and be better by the time you come 2021, but it was when she said that, like, you are, they've uh, planned their training to peak yeah. at this 
2020 Olympic Games. Yeah, it must be very, very difficult. It must be a hard pill to swallow because you put all that, as you said, put all that work in, all the fun and everything that goes along with sport, that mental grind of um, staying focused. And all of a sudden now you've, you've got to do it for another year. So it'll be interesting to see. But I think once Canada, Team Canada pulled out, that was the end of the Olympics. Like once teams instead of pulling out, you have to respond there. I once, um, I think as well, once uh, the USA had kind of said that they were uh, looking at pulling out and it should be postponed, I think that was always going to do it as well. Because like, if they aren't sending athletes, that takes out a big chunk of the competition. So straight away it was going to be on the back foot. The only thing I would hate to see postponed is Tony Khabib. That's all I'm, I'm sitting here. Fingers uh, crossed. I hope that behind closed doors. So. We was just talking to Ryan about it. Do we think it'll go ahead? Uh, I I think so. I think so. Purely based off Tony Ferguson and Khabib's mentality, uh, these guys would be crazy enough to have no undercard, no other fights before them. Literally an octagon in a room, and the two of them fight. And I think it would make the fight even more legendary, considering who was involved in it. That's what I was thinking. Like I think that type of situation will kind of sum up the two guys to some degree, you know, like just that like the two killers, like just they'll have it out on the street, like, you know, send location kind of stuff. It's like, I think that just, just the two lads in a cave, in a room. Yeah, that, that, that send location, it could be literally lives away that. Like even in that press conference when Tony brought up fighting on the streets, that guy could be, you could see straight away, he like the second he was being questioned, about like kind of his gangster, like he was having none of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's an exciting fight. Like I think uh, I hope it will get. You you just you never know, but it would it would definitely kind of bring the the or the kind of everything around the fight to another level if it was just the two of them in a room and an octagon. Do you know what I mean? That's it, um, Dana White has said there is a a location that they have a location, but they haven't announced it yet. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, I was reading that. Uh, they reckon Dubai. There's rumors of Dubai. I wouldn't be surprised they there. Be able to run it in Dubai. Yeah, it'd be crazy. Who do you think would win? <laughs> oh, that was my next question. Uh, I was, I think, uh, Tony yeah, Ferguson. I've been, uh, I've been on Tony Ferguson for. Who's Tony? Yeah, a number of years I've been saying the only person to beat Khabib is Tony. So I think Tony beats him. I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna stick with that uh, prediction. I think Tony. Yeah, I, 100%, I agree with that 100. percent I, I think there's nobody else out there that could beat Khabib. Yeah, I think Tony's forward forward pressure is too much, and as the rounds go on, he'll start to get to him because I think you've seen like maybe Khabib does tire a small bit, like you saw against Ali Quinta, and even against McGregor, like in the third round, McGregor won that round. So I think like Tony coming forward, putting the pressure on, and even if he takes him down, Tony's just savage off his back. So I think I think that's, he has. Yeah, all I think that's going to be the. Big, yeah, that's going to be the big trump card. Whereas. Khabib takes people down, locks them against the fence and makes them want to quit, like makes them panic. Where I don't think that's in Tony Ferguson. He's going to sit there comfy. He's going to be trying to elbow Khabib from the bottom. Like he's going to have no problem sticking up triangles. Like he can do whatever needs to be done to be Khabib. Do that kind of way. He's not going to be panicking at any stage during that fight. Yeah, I just hope it happens. I just hope it happens. See, I hadn't even... Oh, it's the only thing that would keep us entertained now during lockdown. <sighs> that's it, like... It's what we need. Like I wake up like every because I I forgot what day it is, so I'm waking up and I'm kind of like, right, what what sport is on today? Uh, oh yeah, nothing. Particularly with combat sport, this oh, every weekend, like me and my brother will sit and watch UFC pretty much every weekend. It's on. Like even we yeah. we got that Brazil card literally because there was nothing else on at the time. 
We're like, sure, what else would we do? It was kind of the start of lockdown. We're like, let's buy the Brazil card. And they had like three events lined up. And we were like, ah, sure. But this would be class. Like, we'll get all the UFCs, sit back on a, on a Saturday evening and watch watch all the fights. But I, they, they have to postpone them and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy time to see everything. Literally, everything is canceled. Everything. Even horse racing now. Like, they were letting horse racing go for it. And that's gone. Yes. I thought I was watching. I was I watching. Watch race. Racing, I was watching. I, I like horse racing, but I was watching the other day racing in Turles. It was like I have to watch it. Like it's the only bit of sport we're going to get for however long. I was going to say to that people it. second guess it. Like yeah, they'll make new fans for horse racing and everything. But every, yeah, everything's just down now. And no, just it's crazy, crazy time we live in. And like you said, like they don't know when when it's all going to kick back up. Like it's it's just oh, it's cancelled. Then we're hoping it sometime. Who knows when it'll actually come back. This is it, yeah. This is it, and and the uh, it feels like we're getting drip, like drip fed information about like how bad the situation is. Do you know that kind of way? Like every every day there seems to be there's new cases, and then there's a new measure in place to keep people in their homes or stop the spread of it. And then there's a new measure the following day. So I, we just have to wait. See, you just kind of have to bear it out. But like that, if Tony Khabib is cancelled. <laughs> Imagine, yeah, imagine the fifth time. But this feels like the perfect time to do it as well. Joe, you know, if, if you had the fight, say, the first time they were meant to fight, I don't think we'll yeah. get the same appreciation as it will get this fifth time because it really does feel like the two best lightweights in the world going head-to-head. Like, there's nobody in any other promotion, I don't think, at lightweight that could rival either of them. They, they really just feel like the two best are going, going at it. Yeah, like, there's, there's good guys in Bellator, right? Like, you man, um Pitbull and stuff like, but uh, Michael Chandler. Yeah. But, but I don't like they'd be they'd be good in the UFC, but like, I'd I'd still fancy Tony and Khabib to beat them. You know, I but they'd be yeah, exactly. good to have that, in the UFC. That guy Pitbull actually is really good, bro. Yeah, it's, it's just it's Khabib and Tony. Be Khabib like or Tony. No, yeah, this is they're kind of the, the session two right now. Although, how how would you fancy McGregor in a rematch versus Khabib? I, I'd watch it. <laughs> Oh yeah, if McGregor's fighting, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, I, you're going to tune in. You have to watch it. Like, I think, um, I think if he's trained and ready, it will be it will be interesting. Like, he was definitely sharper against Cowboy in his last fight than he was against Khabib. And I think if he goes into it with that sharpness, that yeah. could be it could be something different. Like maybe it won't. Maybe the result will be the same. But yeah. I think the fight overall will be a different fight. Um, so I'd like that. I'd watch it. I'd be interested to see it. And I think looking at the Diaz fight, that second Diaz fight, he came in much more prepared game plan wise. Do you know what I mean? He does like we've only seen him do one rematch, but he does well in that situation. And I think he'd want to prove himself in you know, that kind of way. I think like I kind of felt the first fight like McGregor just kind of treated it like a a sporting contest, like it's just a throwaway thing. But Khabib was like, "I'm going to war here." Like, no, he this is life and death. I can't lose. And McGregor was kind of like it was it was the side hustle to him launching whiskey. You know, that was kind of what it. I kind of felt like yeah, it felt like yeah. Them stories came out that he was like he was he, he used to go in and spar and then go on a three day bender afterwards celebrating the spar like yeah, like like that. He just didn't fully focus on Khabib, and whereas I felt like Khabib like it was like night and day is thinking about this fight is like getting ready for an absolute war. And uh, yeah, locked into into fight like yeah, yeah. It'd be an interesting rematch, but I think Tony Khabib is where it's at right now. Everybody wants to see that fight. Did you think Dustin Poirier had Khabib beaten when he had him in the guillotine? 
Uh, I don't know. I, I remember watching, I actually saw, just speaking of that, I saw a video about two nights ago about Khabib's um, head movement, underrated head movement or something like that, and Dustin Poirier running forward with them punches. Do you remember there was a barrage of punches, I think, in yeah, the second yeah. round? It looked like it caught Khabib, but when it was slowed down, it, nothing actually landed on Khabib. But that, not so much the guillotine, but I remember that flurry of punches, and at the time, looking at it, going, oh, he might have Khabib on the ropes. But no, I wasn't, I, for... For a couple of seconds, I thought he had that guilty in snug. It's the same. I thought he was going to tap. It's the too. same. But my thing was like, I don't think Khabib would tap. I think he'd go out. He'd have to. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You'd have to choke Khabib out. There's that kind of mentality that's in him. Yeah, I kind of felt like, but first went in, I said, nah, nah, he doesn't have it. And then it was like, oh, wait, that's in deep. He has it. He has it. And it's like, is he going to go out? Yeah. Like, he wasn't going to tap. So I was like, is he going to go out? And then he kind of, he, like, he kind of just shifted his feet around to the side a little bit and got a movement on his head that kind of, Managed for him then to to pop out, but yeah, I, was, I, I thought he had it for just a, a couple of seconds. I thought he had him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, Khabib, Khabib on the ground, he looks so so composed that at the same time you're not panicking. Do you know what I mean? He's not like Khabib's in that guilty team, not panicking. He's chilled out in there. He's gone. There's no there's no pressure until he falls asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then so I always think this is an interesting one in kickboxing is like winning. Winning the Irish Open is nearly recognised as being uh, as big, if not bigger, than winning a world title. So, uh, how many times then have you managed to win the Irish Open? So I've won it four times now. This this year, this Irish Open just gone a couple of weeks ago. That was my fourth time winning it. So, I, ah. but I think this this year definitely felt uh, felt different. Felt very very different in the sense of. Um, uh, I, I just enjoyed it way more this year. There was something about the atmosphere and the vibe this year that I really enjoyed. I, I enjoyed the preparation for it. Obviously, we did more, all of the training in Monavay. Usually, what ends up happening is I would be traveling back and forth between clubs to get spars and things like that. Whereas we spent an awful lot of time, as I said, that Christmas, we spent a lot down in Monavay. But even in preparation for the Irish Open, we did a lot of the training in Monavay. So I would have been on pads with my sister, who does a lot of my pad work, and then my sparring partners, uh, Josh Abzi and Stephen Thompson, shout out those guys who don't actually compete but have been in sparring with me since we were 18 and 19. So they're just used to sparring with me, do you know what I mean? And they're at a really, really good level, but they're just kind of tucked away here. Nobody really knows about them. And yeah. um, we did a lot of the preparation for Monavay. So by the time in Monavay, so by the time I got out there, I just felt really good. I remember warming up for every, every day I was fighting. I was just warming up with a big smile on my face, like just, just ready to go and put on a show. And I was just, we were happy with the performance and then getting to do the gala as the, uh, as the, the second last fight in the gala was just, just unbelievable. Like it came out in air sport there, but there was something, people were saying to me the following day, like the atmosphere in the room changed. Once, like everyone was kind of watching the fights. Suddenly my name got called, the atmosphere changed, and people started chanting GMK and stuff like that. There was something special about it. It was really, really cool. And they hit the soul. Building an online personality, I think. I think so, yeah. It, it, it's <laughs> funny that like, people's reaction to the GMK thing is really, really funny. Where it's, All it is is my personality turned up to 11. And it's me kind of make, poking fun at martial arts. Because we all know these martial arts characters, these kind of masters and grandmasters that are larger than life, like... You have to bow to them three or four times as you approach them. Do you know these guys that are kind of... No, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for lack of a better phrase, suck up their own hole. Like, but they, um, they, these people are out there. And in martial arts, like, there's so much ego involved because it's combat sports. Like, you fight another person. So the second you get good at it, like, there's ego involved. So these guys, these grand masters kind of take it to a new level. I always found. And I just, just found it hilarious. Like, 
So yeah, the GMK thing started developing then. I, I think um, it, it started in Monavay when I was with John Mackey at the time, because I was the only person in, in Monavay obviously doing martial arts. So like in Monavay, it's all football. Football is a big sport. And if you're playing rugby, that's a bit exotic. So for somebody to be out there <laughs> doing taekwondo and kickboxing, this was crazy then. I didn't have seen this before. So um, Paul Walsh, his name was, he teaches fitness class in Monavay. He used to call me Grandmaster Flash. Grandmaster Flash. Oh, and he used to say Grandmaster, Grandmaster, anytime you see me. And I kind of called on him on a way for a little while. People used to call me Grandmaster. And then John Mackey heard this for the first time. He said, uh, Grandmaster Kenny, Grandmaster Kenny. And then I got a brief it to GMK. And I hated it at the time. I thought this was the worst nickname anybody had ever called me. But then John Mackey at the time came out with the Monavay Mauler. And I was like, no, we're, we're, not, we're not doing that. That's a, that's a horrible nickname. Let's go with GMK. So, and then I remember one day doing a post on Instagram or something like that and, and uh, referring to myself in the third person as GMK. And I just, I'm just riding that till the wheels fall off. Like I'm just still doing it now. today. Yeah. I just, I have a lot, yeah, I just have a lot of fun with it. Like, and people seem to enjoy it. Like I remember we were sitting up in a room uh, after our show and everything. This is like three o'clock in the morning. Shout out Robbie Cuff, because he's sitting in our room reading out he's just on my instagram reading out my captions and absolutely bent over laughing at them and when you see people's reactions like that you're like oh that's that's what it's about like yeah 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 i just not taking yourself too seriously and i see like i think sometimes with your captions like if you're, if you're taking it all too serious like you're going to be like oh he's a dickhead like you have to kind of if you read it with that kind of thing like you just like he's just taking the piss you'll get a great laugh out of it you know like the same yeah, way with the yeah, stance and yeah, and I think you see it in, especially in the martial arts community, the kickboxing, the taekwondo community, people take themselves serious on Instagram. Like, they're, they're not messing around. Like, I've seen people block comments and stuff like that, like, on Instagram, because it ruins their posts or something like that. You can't take yourself too seriously in these sports. Like, these are, these are technically amateur sports. It's about having a good time. Like, you're not, I'm not getting paid enough to be taking this that seriously. <laughs> you know what I mean? But at the same time, I feel like it, it, works, it works for me and against me in the sense of, there is a there's an opinion out there of me that I don't take this seriously at all. Whereas like I'm in this hall two or three times a day training and things like that. But one one really good one I found at the Irish Open just gone. It was like the first night of Thursday night, and I was on my way up to bed, and uh, in the lobby was Conor McClinchy and his coach from America, uh, Junior, his name is. So he coached the proper team from America, you know that proper team. Yeah. So they're in the lobby and Conor's messing, and he calls me over and goes, "Oh, Junior, this is GMK. We've got to sign him up to proper." So I'm standing there, like, and just start messing. Like, Junior's from California, like, so he barely understands my accent anyway. And I'm sitting there, I'm standing there in the middle of the lobby, jabbing out. I'm like, Junior, I won't be much point fighting for you now, but you know, I sit behind this jab, and I'll show you jabbing, I'll show you Western hands, but I said, Junior's like looking at me as if I have ten heads. He's going, "Who is this fella?" Like, and I, I'm sitting there messing. Connor's like bent over laughing. And I get up to bed. So the following day, my first two fights were on, and I fought a fella from Bristol, and then another fella from England and beat them both clean and felt really good about performance. Uh, Love really good. Come off the mats and I meet Junior coming towards me. And he looks at me and he goes, actually, you know what? You're actually pretty good. And I remember just <laughs> laughing to myself going, actually pretty good. But anyway, I think I kind of deceive people in the sense of, I don't really take it yeah. that seriously. It looks like I don't take it that seriously until, until I go like. Uh, how did the, how the whole connection, because you started training with uh, Hong in Newbridge, how did that kind of all thing end up coming about? Yeah, yeah, so I suppose that is, like, because we're tucked away in the west of Ireland in Monavay, which is a village beside Athenry, like, 
there's not, as I said, there's not, there's not other, there's not other martial arts around the place. So I end up traveling to different places um, to train. So I, Celtic Eagles is another one in Galway. I end up training in a boxing club in there. I enjoy training there. But uh, Hong, we met him in Flanders in 2018. I want to say the the Flanders Open was in Belgium. So he was over on his own. And the white, we, there was a small group of us from White Tiger that were over. And Hong was like the, he was sorry, he was on his own from Spartan. So he was kind of hanging around with us for the weekend and he, he just clicked. Like everyone on the team just loved him. Me and another guy called Emmett thought Hong was the funniest thing ever. Like with two coaches watching this fellow go around, we just thought he was hilarious. Like, so we had a great time with him and, and really clicked and just got on with him as a person. And then we met him again in Bristol and it was the same carry on. Damo loved him. Everyone just, just really enjoyed him. So what ended up happening then, just before Christmas, he came down to White Tiger to train, just spend the weekend and train. So when he was down there training, he kind of suggested to me, he was like, you do have a black belt in Taekwondo. I was like, yeah, 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 I do. He's like, you should really, uh, you should use that. Like, you should try and get back into a little bit of competing. And it's something I'd never thought about before. But through Hong, I ended up going, yeah, that's a good idea. Like, why I have a black belt, it's just kind of sitting here. Why don't I use it? Like, and it's just yeah. another opportunity. And it's another, for me, the Taekwondo is just another audience. Um, I can put my skills out there too and kind of show off what I can do to another audience. So what ended up happening then, I, tra- I travel up and down to his club once a month in Newbridge, get to train up and train up there. And I really enjoy it, like, cause it is my original style. So it's fun, it's, but it is, it's different. It's different from light contact. I find it very, very different. I find Taekwondo, Taekwondo is a lot more playful cause of the bigger area. It's not yeah. as intense. You're not stuck in somebody's face boxing. Do you know what I mean? Whereas like Taekwondo, there's, obviously there's a lot more space to kick. And because the kick to the body is worth two points, you have to respect that front leg a little bit more. So there's a lot more room to play. The contact isn't as heavy and stuff like that. So although team event, I've heard it's, it's, it's big boy stuff up there. Team event, team event is a bit of crack. Yeah, team, team event is a bit of crack. Um, if you get the right match. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah it, look, it looks like I've done it as a junior. Like I've done team events as a junior, but it's something I definitely like to get involved in. It looks really good. It looks like there's a good buzz around it. Like that, like, that, like team events, yeah, team day is a team day is where the buzz, uh, just a buzz, yeah, like I said, a buzz around is because even like when you're by the ring, like there's five of you, sorry, there's six of you, so like you know, on each team, so yeah. by the ring, there's more people, so like it kind of has a bit of a buzz, like as opposed to like individual versus you and your coach, you know, you have. Yes. You the rest of the team, so you kind of get a bit of a buzz going, and you're cheering that the person is fighting, and everybody's cheering for you right next to the ring, and it does it builds a good buzz after the team swearing, yeah. Yeah, definitely looks like one of those things. Exactly like you said, it seems to be a good buzz. You're not just out there for yourself. Then at the same time, there's five other guys behind you. You need to you need to pick up the win for it. You know what I mean? So it yeah, looks like yeah. it looks like it'll be loads. Yeah. So I I've been training with Hong now. A year, a year, maybe up and down to Hong's, but I just I find Hong as a as a person just a great energy, like it just off the mass, like it, really, really good energy, and he's he's so he's so uh, he's so wise too. Taekwondo, like he's been in in this game so long, like he's seen so many different generations of Taekwondo, and he's been through all the different styles and things like that. So it's really good, like you you learn an awful lot from him um, off the mats as well as on the mats. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. Twenty years of uh, international competition—it's uh, some achievement. This is, and he's such a good personality. Like he's so—he's um, just one of the more likable people in the sport. You know, that kind of way. I don't think I've ever met anybody who doesn't like 
like Han, who doesn't enjoy being around Han. Like, he's just a great, great energy. Yeah, he's, there's always a bit of messing going on. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, he's, he's yeah. That's I, I think that that's important. I think that's something people. I was talking to somebody about this recently. Something um, people lose out on is that kind of vibe in training. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, you have them serious sessions. You have to you have to buckle down and do hard sparring and all the rest of it, but. You need that good energy in training. You need to be around people you enjoy training with. There's a little bit of mess in it and cotton and fooling going on. I think it's so important. It's so important to keep the energy high, um, especially when the tournaments get serious. Do you know what I mean? With the likes of, I, th- I think that's what I enjoyed so much about the preparing for Irish Open from Mona Bay was I was stuck with, with Josh and Stephen and my sister Jade. They're all people I like being around. And we used to train on Sunday. Sunday morning used to be our sparring session. So we'd have people come out for the sparring on the Sunday morning, different kickboxes and stuff like that from other clubs. So it would be a bit more intense because you were sparring guys you weren't as familiar with. Do you know what I mean? So we'd have intense sparring on, on Sunday morning. But then every Sunday evening, we used to do a run and just hit the bag. And the goal of that run and hit the bag, we turn the music up real loud and we're hitting the bag and just have a good time. And you're just caught and fooling in between rounds and things like that. So I think it's important to enjoy yourself when you're training as opposed to taking it super seriously. And then you end up in your own head and stuff like that. It's, it's hard to get better. Like that, you're not getting paid for it. You know, it is you know, the reason you're doing it is because you enjoy it. And I was saying to Giles, uh, who was on the podcast uh, not too long ago, uh, was um, was that like half the reason you're doing it is for me anyway. Half the reason I like to I enjoy what I do is, is the people I'm doing it with, and I like to have the and enjoy training with those people as much as then. And then the people you're doing it with, they're all pushing towards the same goal. Like, so you're all having to crack, but you're all training hard and you're all pushing towards the same thing. Like, that's half the reason I do it. And it's kind of, that kind of went away a little bit for me for just a little bit. And that's why I was kind of like, will I take a break or will I not? But then I started to, I competed, I got on the mats and I kind of felt like I had a buzz there. I loved the buzz and competition then. And I just started getting back in. I was started enjoying training a lot more again. So like, it definitely is important to that you do enjoy, enjoy the training and it's not just all serious. Oh, 100%. And even even the, the, the Tom O'Toole, who I mentioned at the top of the podcast, like I get on so well with him, but we kill each other sparring. Like it, It's boxing sparring. Yeah. And yeah. anybody who has boxed, you understand like when you're sparring and boxing, it's nearly like a fight. Like Tom's trying to rip my head off. I'm trying to rip his head off. But once that, that last round is finished, we're caught in fooling and messing about abducting yeah. the plane side or whatever else <laughs> is going on in life. Do you know what I mean? And I think it is it's so important to be... To be um, to be your own people you do enjoy training with and things like that just because you were talking about your own competing you were at that warrior open recently were you yeah yeah i was at it yeah it was a, it was a good competition actually yeah that, is that but, it's first year? that's the first year of the the tournament yeah it was a good tournament some good people at it i would like to see maybe it was only one two minute round i'd like to see maybe if they don't want to do the full two twos maybe two one and a half minute rounds because i felt kind yeah. of in my couple of fights like even the fights i won i felt like i was i felt like a second round would really have given me the chance to kind of pull away. Round. Yeah. Yeah, you want that second round to really work out what your partner's doing and then, and then yeah, open up a little bit. And maybe even uh, uh, the bigger ring, to some degree, uh, would have been a little bit better, I, I think. Uh, maybe. Oh, how big were the rings out there? Uh, six by six. So kickboxing style, which... Like that, yeah, keep size, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, I kind of ch- it, it does change like that changes how you have to fight, um, and the tactics you can use. So, I think it may, even if it wasn't, you know, we sparring a 10 by 10 usually in Taekwondo, even if it went to the 7 by 7 or 8 by 8, would have been a little bit better if you just had that little bit of an extra mat, like you didn't have to go yeah. full international size, but a little bit of a bigger ring would have been a bit better and longer round, but uh, 
the level of competition was was definitely good, definitely good. So I go back. Yeah, because the um, the watch called the size of the ring really does dictate like the style you can fight with. I remember when they um, cut the ring for Wackles the first year, like it was it was crazy. This was, there were so many disqualifications for exits and stuff like that. They brought in the exit yeah. rule about four exits in the disqualified and cut the size of the ring in the same year. It was just it, it completely changed the sport. You can see that now though the the yeah. light contact in general is much more boxing oriented. Uh, you need to have good boxing in order to to last the time. I think the the day of the the lead leg fighter is kind of where they could just rely on their lead leg. It's kind of slowly fizzing out. You do need a good strong lead leg, but it has to be applied differently to what it used to be. Yeah, like I think that's the thing. Like sometimes, sometimes the people making the rules forget that the rules dictate the style of fighting that the people are going to use because the fighters are going to look for the most effective and most efficient techniques to win. And that's all dictated by the rule set, the size of the ring, the scoring. Like straight away, if I like even think in, like you said, in Taekwondo, you have to respect the front leg because it's two points. Like if that, like that, if that was maybe brought into kickboxing, that would change straight away the, the style because that's the way. Like those things do dictate oh, style. Of everybody fight. wants to start kicking it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think the the. the Reduced ring size and wacko definitely brought uh, more of an emphasis on boxing. I remember at the time when that happened, it was like 2017, I got beat out the door um, at that wackos. I was in Slovenia. Oh, 2017, 2016, maybe. 2016 and 2017, I got beat out the door. I got some Polish fella in the first round, and this fella just boxed the head off me. So I remember coming home at the time and going, well, what are we going to do? And I ended up training with Jim Upton after that. And every, but everybody in the country was trying to get strong boxing. They were trying to get some kind of boxing going that, that would help them for the following year and that kind of way. So it has gone very boxing orientated, is like contact, I think, which is good. Good for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're not complaining. <laughs> uh, you was a, a strider. You were at the was it the combat game or the university games you were at last year? Was it? Yeah, university. Yeah, that's a bit of a lesson, mad story. Because yeah, there's a good story here to how you managed to get to that. So that's why I, I wanted to bring to it up. <laughs> I don't know how much I can say on the podcast now, yeah, though, but I'm going to give the that's what I was also story. thinking. So you know, we'll we we'll give as much detail as you can. I no, suppose. Who, you know? <laughs> yeah, who, no, who cares? Who's going to stop me? Like, <laughs> so I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe I have to pay college fees, obviously. But um, what happened was uh, around this, uh, December. Uh, two years ago, I saw, or a year ago, I saw the combat games being advertised. So I was this university combat games, and I it, it was organized by the IOC. The IOC were involved, and it looked like a really good opportunity just to see what, where they were going with kickboxing and how they were going to push it kind of towards Olympic recognition. And I saw Light Contact got announced for it. So um, I was like, oh, I'd love to do that tournament. But I wasn't in college. So I, don't, I teach kickboxing. And, Full time, like I, I, I've never, never gone to college. So I was looking at this, going, oh, I need to get to that tournament. I need to get to that tournament. So I went into training that Friday, into Damien, and and kind of said it to him. I was like, I want to do that tournament. He's like, Well, you can't. You're, uh, you're not in college. And I turned around to Damien. I was like, Demo, fix it. So two weeks later, he came back and he signed me up for this course. And I was like, Yeah, no problem. He's like, You have to be in uh, in GMIT in Galway on such and such a day. Sit in. Once you're signed up to that course, you can go and compete then as part of the university. Like they want you to go and compete. And I was like, happy days. So in I went. Uh, the middle of January, I sat in, and up on the board came agricultural entrepreneurship, whatever that was. 
and uh, in, I just was signed up to this course ready to go uh, and it was all online so I just had to do a little bit of work online and I could go and compete at the tournament but the tournament itself was was really really good so it was a, it was a combat a university combat games like I said so you had judo at it you had taekwondo you had kickboxing uh, there was karate at it and stuff like that so it was, it was really cool to see all the different different athletes in this one village as well and, and it was it felt a little bit more like an Olympics an Olympic style tournament so it was, it was really, really good. Now, I got beaten the first round. As I said, I think it was karma. I shouldn't have been at that tournament. So that kind of way. But um, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the tournament itself, it was really, really good. Really well organized, really well run. And it was, it was, just, it, it was interesting to see where they could push kickboxing as far as, the, um, as far as what they're trying to do with the Olympics and stuff like that. Because it, it's Olympic recognized now and things. So you just never know where the, where the sport goes. But uh, it, was, it was a great tournament. I had a great time uh, getting both getting to it and then when I was over there, it was really, really good to see. And uh, when, when are, are they planning on hosting another one soon or is it like every, have they like a, a time frame between the tournaments? Like is it going to be yeah, like I heard, two years or? I heard, I heard somewhere that was Belgrade was the next one, whatever, but I don't know, it was set to be during this summer, I think, which obviously, won't happen now, but I, I think Belgrade was supposed to be the next tournament, but Belgrade could also be the um, venue for Waco Juniors. You know, there's so many that they kind of they yeah, get mixed yeah. up in your head and stuff like that. But um, they, they are planning to run more of them. It looks, it's a really, it's a really good tournament. The way it's laid out, they do it differently to Waco's. So for anybody that hasn't been to Waco's, Waco's works where you have one um, three-round fight a day through your division. Whereas these guys in, um, at the University Combat Games, you had two fights every day. And they had a morning time session and an evening time session. So the morning would run from like 12 to 3. There'd be like a three-hour break. You'd come back and then there'd be an evening time session. So it was an interesting way of running a tournament. We'd never seen that before. And it ran over three days. So they were able to run all the divisions over three days, K1 included. So you had K1, point fighting, and light contact at it. So it was, it, it was, it was really good. Like it's, it's hard to describe it when you weren't there. But it, there was definitely a, a much... Uh, a, a different vibe to it there was a there was a vibe where it was more like an olympics it was it felt special you know what i mean so really good hopefully something we'll see more of for kickboxing hopefully we'll see like just a, a senior version of it senior version where there's no college i don't have to go and lie and pretend i'm i'm this that's, student athlete that i'm not you know what i mean i can go out that's what i was going to say what course are you doing next and not be ripping off colleges and all that oh i mean sign me back up for agriculture and entrepreneurship See if I can do I'm gonna to have to repeat. <laughs> oh, that's actually that's or a great. I, I don't know a bachelor's in uh, Instagram studies or something like that. Social, that's a things you know, digital marketing or something, you know, digital media or something in, like that. Instagram captions, and I haven't even done one of those on the first day. I I don't understand exactly how this works just from running the the top Instagram and keep watching. <laughs> and um. So what does the uh, what does your training schedule look like then? Well, like obviously before before all of this kicked yeah, off for the global pandemic. So um, again, like I said, we train out of Monavay, so we end up traveling an awful lot. So an average week for me would be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. It's all in Monavay. So I'm hitting pads, training with my training partners here in Monavay. Um, sometimes I go in boxing on the Tuesday in Galway, in Galway City. So there's a club over there, Celtic Eagles really really high level of boxers they've had two elites they've had tom won the elites and um, you've toto up there that's that's doing really really well toto's um 
was on that kind of Olympic, he's up in the high performance and awful lot. So there's some really high level boxing up there. The coach up there, Pavel Popko, really, really good. So I go in there, do a bit of boxing during the week. And then some Thursdays I'm up with Hong. Every Friday I'm in Castle Bar then. And then the weekends always look different. Like weekends, usually you're going competing somewhere. So there's loads of Irish tournaments for kickboxing. Or if we're not competing, we're traveling somewhere to do a couple of spars or we're here, people are coming to us to do spars. So it's pretty much uh, every day is if we wake up and see how much training we can get in. We're, we're in here like two or three times a day in the hall, like just work, working technical stuff, working uh, strength and condition as well. I'm doing a good bit of strength and conditioning um, since the start of this year. And I find it makes a big difference to the game. No. Something I've never really seen before. At the moment, three because there's no competitions. But we were when I was competing there, say before Irish Open and before uh, the Munster Open for the Taekwondo, it was two weeks. It makes a huge difference. It's very uh, you just for a, a fighter athletically and to just control your body in different ways. Really, really good. Yeah. So, if you had to put a number on how many sessions, what do you reckon? 12, 13 sessions a week, more, less? Yeah, probably. Yeah, 12, 13 sessions a week, which I think surprises people because because of the way my social media works and I'm always kind of laughing and joking. It looks like I don't take it that seriously, but we, like, we put in crazy hours in, in this Monday Hall. Like, we're we're really, really about it. Like, I, I'd like The goal is really to go down as one of the greats in light contact. I, that's, that's always been something... I want to, but particularly since I've come back, that's that's what I'd love to do. Just go down as one of the greats and have a lasting effect on the sport. Like, so I think that's what keeps me motivated. Even now when there's no tournaments, we're down here practicing, trying to put something new together, trying to put out something different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like that. I think if you're going, see, that's the thing. Like, if you're going to, you know, throw out the the if it, the the captions on Instagram, you kind of need to be able to back it up, you know. So that's you have to get yourself in the gym. It's no good. You can't do it if you're losing all the time. You know, you have to be back. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, you have to. At the same time, like when when you do lose, you, you can't take it too seriously. Do you know what I mean? You can't take ah, it too seriously because you're, you're messing and cutting and fooling. But I think it's all in it's in good good humor most of the time. I'm not like trying to get someone or like kind of throw digs at someone on yeah, Instagram yeah, yeah. or anything like that. But a hundred percent, if you're going, as you said, if you're going to kind of talk that big game, you have to be able to back it up a little bit. And it keeps you in, like you just have to make sure if you're going to call yourself the youngest taekwondo master in the world, there has to be some kind of merit behind it. Do you know what I mean? You want, you want to be somewhat good. But um, I suppose a couple of more things before we finish up. Um, I asked Ryan in the last podcast, the same thing. I don't know. I might keep this going actually. Uh, favorite fighter across any sport like any martial art combat sport if you had to pick one fighter or maybe you've said it already but we'll just uh yeah it has to, it has to be Nassim Hamid just for he is my earliest memory of experiencing martial arts like seeing martial arts but yeah easily one of my favorites um I'm trying to give you another one just because I've mentioned that Naz and we talked about Naz a good bit another yeah. one I really like Dominic Cruz, I think, was a, a big one for me growing up as well. Um, good one. That, good uh, one. He, like, yeah, really, really. That, that, he kind of brought a Matrix-style to MMA. Do you know what I mean? He was the first person I, I'd ever seen at the time focus on not getting hit as opposed to wrestling and, and takedown and stuff like that. But that, that was because he was much smaller than his opponents. There was no bantamweight division at the time. I think it was only lightweight. Yeah. So he was fighting. He wasn't even making weight. He was just showing up as he was getting in ready to fight and off he, off he'd go. Um, but he, yeah, that, that 
that kind of footwork he's using. We're watching a lot of that at the moment, actually. That footwork he's using and the way he moves his head on orthodox angles, so good to watch him. So good. I remember, yeah, growing up watching him, him when I was about 14, 15, when he was on that kind of rise. He was coming over from WC. WC, oh, yeah. He was so good then. And uh, so then as well, yeah. favourite fight again, favourite fight again, boxing fight, kickboxing fight, K1, MMA, whatever fight, favourite fight. Oh, oh, that's a good, that's a good question. You have to I'll sit down and pick one fight to watch. What are you picking? For the rest of my life. Um, that's a very, very good question. Um, so, oh, I don't know. Something with Diaz. The Diaz, Diaz brothers will be another big favorite of mine. I love that long boxing style. That, um, yeah. that kind of lazy boxing style. But, I've watched a lot of Nick in particular, his fights. I remember, I don't know what it is about some of his fights. That, that fight where he finishes your man with the Gogo Plata, he was against, he was in Japan. Takadori Gomi, Pride 33. Whatever it is about that particular fight, the way Diaz performs, and it's not like, you know, it's not like a, an Israel Adesanya or Diaz McGregor where it's this mad back and forth war. It's it's just how good Nick Diaz was in that fight. I think that's one I just I love. I've watched that fight a couple of times. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's that's one I just I love watching. He kind of broke him down with that, that pitter patter boxing style, and then oh uh, yeah, that's it. That but that's the crazy thing about the Diaz brothers is that there's that again that kind of gangster mentality in them that they don't they they're there for a fight. Like they don't care. You can hit them as hard as you want. They're just gonna roll with the punches and see what happens. Like they're they're so good. Their boxing is completely underrated, I think, as well. Like, it's, it's such an unusual style of boxing, and they've adapted it so well to the MMA gloves. Like, people completely forget that. Their boxing is top, top drawer, like. Yeah, like Nick is better with Andrew Ward and stuff like that. Yeah, it's such an unusual style of boxing, the way they kind of throw everything long and slow. But apparently the science behind that is it's hardest block. Like, these guys are actually, for two kind of... Donors, they actually know what they're about. Like, do you know what I mean? They, yeah. they're, uh, they're, they understand that the faster you throw something, everyone's prepared to block them fast punches. We're all used to these fast punches. But when you start to slow it down a little bit, and even in a combat situation, it's much harder to block. And they pick, and they pick their shots so nicely. Like, they're so relaxed in there. Yeah, they're really good. I like the Diaz because I like their carry-on outside the ring as well. They're, they're so entertaining to watch. Do you know what I mean? And some of the stuff they come out with. Just gold. So have we pulled? Have we came up on? A, have we came to a decision on that one fight, or is it just anything with the DL? Yeah, there is. I think I think the Takanori Gomi Nate Diaz or Nick Diaz fight. I'm trying to think of another one. There must be a boxing one. I said I said to Ryan, my one would be uh, Eric Morales, Marco Antonio Barrera, Barrera, the the first one. Yeah, that's that's a that's a Mexican war. Just gunsling style, like they stand in the middle. Yeah, Mickey Ward on, on Toro Gotti style, like just stand in the middle and go to war. Like, and for MMA, then I said uh, it would be uh, Shogun Hua and Dan Henderson, the first one. Have you ever seen that? Oh, fight? I, I, the second one went up recently as a free fighter. Watch the second, the second one. Um, watch the first. Um, one. I think it was the second. One. The first. I haven't. I haven't seen the first one in a long time. I must go back and watch that. And not a uh, boxing fighter. I definitely would watch more of is um, ending with Lomachenko. Do you remember when Lomachenko finished um, 
Nicholas Walters. The Jamaican. The Jamaican guy, yeah, where he stopped him in like the seventh round. Didn't get get off the chair. Yeah, to me, that that was one of my favorite fights to watch. That that highlight where he, he cuts an angle and brings his hands down and walks forward at Nicholas Walters, just chin in the air, as if what you're going to do. So that's a special uh, that's I think that's the one thing about Lomachenko is and it's a special thing to do is is to have fellas quit like just knock it off the chair to just go no I don't know like that's a special type you've broken that part like whatever about dropping them that's it like not just uh, physically broken them as in knocked them out like you've you've gone he he has no answer for you he's no uh, no, nothing left to give you like he he knows every time he throws at you you're gonna make you're gonna make a miss and then you're gonna counter him every time just class he's he's a different different level I think and uh, so one last one is do you think um, like obviously you said already Wacko has got uh, IOC recognition do you think it'll end up in the Olympics at some point hopefully it, it looks like it will it's not I don't know if it's something I'll see in my lifetime either, is the Olympics but it, I think what is nice about our sport as well and something that people forget is there's no roof on it so for example if you're an amateur boxer Olympics is the pinnacle. You go to the Olympics, you win the Olympics. There's nothing left to do. You've done it. You, you've you completed it, mate. You've completed boxing. Whereas, like for us, there's no route. We can push this further. You know what I mean? There's a, like this. I know this Wacko Pro is something I'd like to have a crack at. But that was huge when Barada first came around. And kind of, he brought that front leg style in and stuff like that. And that that was a huge one. There's so much we can do with our sport that we just we haven't seen yet. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like it's a it's a sport. As I said, there's no roof on. There's so many opportunities that are just uncreated so far. So that's definitely something I'd like to do in the future is push the boundaries of the sport. Let's see what we can do with like contact. Can we can we make it more popular? Can we can we? It's the personalities I think are important. But there's there's some fighters out there that that really um, that are worth showcasing. Even here in Ireland, like there's some juniors coming up, really really exciting talent. That that kid Troy Gannon. Have you seen him down the 63s? Uh, I've heard of him. Yeah, I haven't. I watched him much, yeah, but I've heard of him won. and he seems decent, yeah. Yeah, he's one ideal mark for the future. If, if he keeps that like contact, like, again, you don't know how, how things work when you step up senior and stuff like that. It's harder to stay involved in it, but really, really good. That, that's, that's somebody I definitely think is worth, worth watching like contact. But again, there's somebody that can push the boundaries of the sport stylistically. He, he, he operates with a different style. It's similar enough to what I do. He's a bit more laid, but he's laid back and he kind of picks his shots. But he throws some crazy stuff. I like there was a highlight of him recently at the nationals. I remember him twisting kick somebody, twisting kick to somebody's face. Like who, who's doing that? Like who's thinking of that stuff? It's class. Like it's one of them things where he's not trying to just win. He's trying to put on a show. Do you know what I mean? I appreciate that. But I think in light contact, we need a little bit more of that. Joan, you were talking about people take the rules and the, like they let the rules dictate how they fight. I think a lot of the greats kind of fight with their personality. So. I uh, just from my example is like I'm laid back I'm a little bit goofy that's the way I want to fight I want to sit back pick people off and kind of smile at them and stuff like that and have a little bit of fun when I'm out there the same way I carry on in life like do you know what I mean so I think it's so when you see somebody fighting with their personality it's so good and he's another good example of that he's that kind of laid back and the pick your part style which I I enjoy actually just on a, a completely different when you're saying favorite fighters another one uh, Mikhail Gormishra have you ever seen him Mikhail Gormishra uh, see I, I might have like if I the name isn't ringing a bell but like if I saw oh, a video yeah. or a highlight then 
I could. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's a light contact fighter. He's a light contact fighter from Russia, but he fought points as well. But he fought around kind of 2006 period, 2000, up to like 2010, I think. I think he got a leg injury and it has him out now. I'm not 100%, but he's a referee now. But that guy was one of the goats. He was one of the goats of light contact. But people kind of, they just don't recognize him. They recognize Barada as one of the best. They're catching Solvay. And to be fair, they are. Like they brought the sport to a new new platform. But like Barada brought in that front leg style. Nobody was keeping with their front leg. Now everybody has a front leg because of Barada. But this guy, uh, Mikhail, Mikhail Gromyshov, I think that's how you say his name, he's Russian. I probably butchered his name, I'm sorry. But he, um, his stuff was amazing. He had this kind of, he'd bring his hands down and start playing with people, like head movement and stuff like that. And the way he would link his hands and feet up together was so unusual. It's worth looking up if, if, if anybody's on YouTube and is bored over this period, which is everybody, you should, you should type in Mikhail Gromyshov and watch some of that stuff. That, that's amazing. Like, I don't think I've seen... Um, Anybody do it like that for, for a long time as far as light contact goes, even on, on videos. I'll have to look at myself. <laughs> but uh, I think maybe we'll, uh, we'll leave yeah, it there. That's it. Uh, really enjoyed no, your chat. No problem. Thanks for having me. But uh, I suppose we better plug this Instagram. Where can people find you? Yes. Oh, of course. Uh, you can get me on Brendan GM Kenny. Follow that Instagram for the finest kickboxing and taekwondo content this world has ever seen. And White Tiger <laughs> Challenge, hashtag WTC. WTC is, could be postponed till November. So it could be in November, Jamie, which means you'll have plenty of free time in November. Will we see you at the WTC this year? Uh, if it's out of November, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll try and make an appearance, yeah. Oh, I think we could get a taekwondo team together. I, I've been saying this for I've been saying this for a few years. I feel like there's a team event every year, a point fight team event. We need to get a taekwondo team together. Get us all in dough box. Let's go out and show these point fighters how it's done. One hundred percent, man. It was a pleasure chatting. Thanks, thanks for having us on, Jimmy. Cheers. Keep well. I think that's the saying. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's stay, stay safe. Make sure you wash your hands now. And everybody at home, wash your hands. Uh, that's how we we'll leave it. Go on, go on. That's how, yeah, I'm, well, my hands are getting dry from all this hand washing. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> go on. God bless.